Content warning. Today we will be talking about domestic abuse, its many forms, and my own personal story regarding it. If you are a victim of domestic abuse, please be aware that this episode may be disturbing. The best part of doing a podcast is deciding whether or not I need to joke around about or within certain topics and conversations and subjects, and today I'm not feeling it, given the nature of our conversation. Welcome to Red Leg Revolution, a show about community. I'm C-Dubs, I'm your host, and today we're going to talk about an issue that affects everybody in the community. We're going to talk about domestic violence. If you didn't catch the trigger warning at the beginning, I want to reiterate that today we are talking about domestic violence, and if you are a victim or survivor of DV, I proceed with caution. We might get a little little graphic in this episode, and I don't want to upset anybody, so if you still feel like this is an episode that you want to or need to listen to, then just make sure you're in the right headspace to to do that, you know? So, this is a, one of those partially scripted episodes that I do. I haven't actually scripted this episode. I kind of feel like this is one that needs to be done more from the heart and more of a A stream of conscious one, strictly because it's a very personal subject to me, uh, for reasons that you will see as we get into this, you know? So, let's jump right into it. I'm not a fan of the Department of Justice, but it seemed like a good resource to help us kind of define what domestic abuse is seeing as though, theoretically, they're the ones setting the, the legal standard for it. So I went to the to justice.gov backslash domestic violence to get some information, and I'm going to quote from that now. What is domestic violence? Domestic violence is a pattern of abusive behavior in any relationship that is used by one partner to gain or maintain power and control over another intimate partner. Domestic violence can be physical, sexual, emotional, economical, psychological, or technological actions or threats of actions or other patterns of coercive behavior that influence another person within an intimate partner relationship. This includes any behavior that intimidate, manipulate, humiliate, isolate, frighten, terrorize, coerce, threaten, blame, hurt, injure, or wound someone. Examples of abusive behavior include physical abuse, such as hitting, slapping, shoving, grabbing, pinching, biting, hair pulling, etc. are types of physical abuse. This type of abuse also includes denying a partner medical care or forcing alcohol and or drug use upon him or her. Sexual abuse. Coercive or attempting to coerce any sexual contact or behavior without consent. Sexual abuse includes, but is not limited to, marital rape, attacks on sexual parts of the body, forcing sex after physical violence has occurred, or treating one in a sexually demeaning manner. End quote. I just want to throw a quick aside in there. (laughs) Sexually demeaning manner, um, obviously that's without consent. I am not kink-shaming. 
all my people who enjoy a little BDSM as long as it is, you know, consensual and not coerced or anything outside of the established boundaries of your relationship. But if you don't have those established boundaries or you step outside of those uh, established boundaries, then yes, that is sexual abuse. Anyway, back to this article. Quote, Emotional abuse, undermining an individual's sense of self-worth and or self-esteem is abusive. This may include, but is not limited to, constant criticism, diminishing one's abilities, name-calling, or damaging one's relationship with his or her children. Economic abuse, controlling or restraining a person's ability to acquire, use, or maintain economic resources to which they are entitled. This includes using coercion, coercion fraud, or manipulation to restrict a person's access to money, assets, credit, or financial information. Psychological abuse. Elements of psychological abuse include, but are not limited to, causing fear by intimidation, threatening physical harm to self, partner, or children, or partner's family and friends, destruction of pets and property, and forcing isolation from family, friends, or school, and or work. Technological abuse. An act or pattern of behavior that is intended to harm, threaten, control, stalk, harass, impersonate, exploit, extort, or monitor another person that occurs using any form of technology, included but not limited to internet-enabled services, online spaces and platforms, computers, mobile devices, cameras, and imaging programs. Yeah, end quote. So, like, I'm going to go ahead and touch on a few of these and we will maybe go more in depth later depending on where my emotional state is so uh, me personally I have actually now that I'm looking at the at the list here I have been domestically abused in every single one of these ways uh, I don't know, maybe not the technological abuse. I didn't really even know that was a thing. I'm not surprised in 2023 they have a classification for that. But I can't really think off the top of my head of an instance where that's been done to me outside of, I guess, text message fights. So I've, I'm, I'm not sure about that one. But I can say with 100% certainty that I have been a victim of all the others listed. That gives me a good segue into something I wanted to make sure to include in this at the pretty early beginning. I want to go ahead and harp. We're going to get on some statistics here in a minute about how domestic violence affects certain populations. I don't believe there's any, at least in my research, regarding like non-binary people. So um, I'm sorry, non-binary people. But what I wanted to get to was I acknowledged at the beginning of this that domestic violence happens to all people and also that depending on the field of or realm of domestic violence the majority of survivors are women or people identifying as women and we're gonna like I said kind of dig into these stats here in a minute but I just wanted to get that out there because I'm obviously going to do this episode from the perspective of a male survivor of domestic abuse as I'm sharing my story and I'm the one curating the information. But I don't want any of my listeners to think that that is devaluing the experiences of women who have 
survive sexual abuse and I fully support anyone and everyone's efforts to get out of that type of dynamic if you are in them and I will be putting in the episode description some resources local to my area and I will also probably talk about one or two of them at the end of the show. So I just, like I said, I I see you fellow abuse survivors regardless of your gender and Forgive me for, I guess, taking this from my perspective rather than that of a woman's, but I am here with you. I want to go ahead and quote one more piece from that write-up from Justice Department. Quote, Domestic violence can happen to anyone regardless of race, age, sexual orientation, religion, sex, or gender identity. Domestic violence affects people of all socioeconomic backgrounds and education levels. Domestic violence occurs in both opposite-sex and same-sex relationships and can happen to intimate partners who are married, living together, dating, or sharing a child. End quote. So, let's go ahead and jump into these stats, and we will kind of break down at least the understanding of reported domestic violence. Obviously, these stats are not 100% true. Nothing against the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. I'm sure their means and methods are ethical in trying to collect these stats, but the sheer fact of the matter is quite frequently in both genders, issues of domestic violence are underreported, and that's not only to the police, that's to like greater society at large so these numbers we have to assume are bigger than what are offered but we cannot actually shoot and try to say this is the exact number so let's go ahead and jump into the statistics from the national coalition against domestic violence quote one in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence intimate partner contact sexual violence and or intimate partner stalking with an impact such as injury, fearfulness, PTSD, use of victim services, contraction of STDs, etc. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. This includes a range of behaviors, including slapping, shoving, pushing, and in some cases might not be considered domestic violence. Intimate partner violence accounts for 15% of all violent crime. 1 in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence each year, and 90% of these children are eyewitnesses to violence. And finally, only 34% of people who are injured by intimate partners receive medical care for their injuries. 1 in 5 women and 1 in 71 men in the United States have been raped in their lifetime. Almost half of female, 46.7, and male, 44.9, victims of rape in the United States were raped by an acquaintance. Of these, 45.4% of female rape victims and 29% of male rape victims were raped by an intimate partner. End quote. The list goes, the list goes on, and frankly, it's a list of very determined. The list goes on, and frankly, it's a list of very disturbing statistics. It talks about the effects of stalking, of sexual violence, of physical violence, of psychological violence, 
And again, all these numbers are quite terrifying. Domestic violence is endemic in the United States. Part of that is the society of patriarchy that this country has grown out of. In the past, throughout history, in most European societies, men had dominion over their wives and children to such a point that they could beat them and quote-unquote discipline them however they saw fit. Once the women's liberation movement started to happen, people really started to advocate for laws against domestic violence and for a societal shift to where we realized that beating your partner or beating your kids is not an acceptable way of keeping your family together. Now we have a mix of generational trauma, the patriarchy of this country, and honestly economical impact across the board. I mention economical impact not just about financial abuse, but because if we had things like universal health care or more well-funded and easy to locate services for couples to work through their stuff before it gets to any type of abusive point, then we would be better off. Now, as a general rule, because of the trauma uh, that abusers tend to have, abusers are not going to magically go away if we had properly funded social services. I just feel like it is a valid point to add to this conversation how there are other, again, external impacts at play here. Nothing happens in a vacuum. You hear me say that a lot if you're my friend in real life, and this is one of those examples where it is exacerbated by the greater society that we live in. So I think I want to take a moment here and kind of tell y'all a little bit about my story regarding this particular subject. I got married at 23 years old, and I was a very traumatized damaged individual, and I had seen domestic abuse firsthand, like that write-up stated, a lot of kids who, of a lot of children of domestic violence, see that domestic violence, and it affects their cognitive thinking in regards to relationship dynamics, and I certainly saw that as a child. My, both my mother and father were psychologically abusive to one another and emotionally abusive to one another and my father was physically abusive toward not only my mother but also his children. So I learned very early on that abuse is not only acceptable but it's also how you show love to the people that you love. So back to my marriage. I got married at 23. My ex-wife, the first time that she did something that would be classified as abusive toward me was within two months of our burgeoning relationship. I used to have a wall clock that looked like a tacky gold watch, but it was huge, and it kind of looked like a WWE belt. And I forget what we were fighting about, but she took my clock and threw it against the wall and broke it. And I didn't realize at the time that this was a major red flag. I just thought that she was passionate in the moment and made a poor choice. I actually thought I kind of deserved it because 
survivors of abuse often think that they deserve what's being done to them. They tend to internalize the cause, partially because of their own traumas they need to work through from, say, childhood, but also because perpetrators of abuse are big on reassigning that blame to their victims. If you've ever heard the phrase, look what you made me do, well, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. I married her anyway. That was the probably the worst mistake of my life outside of the two wonderful children that I got out of that marriage. But even the kids are kind of a problem. Not the children themselves are a problem, but I still have to have contact with my abuser regularly. And because of that, I can't fully work through my trauma because I have to have contact with her. The last time that she abused me was a year after we started divorce proceedings and I was picking up my children and she backed her car into me multiple times while I had the kids in the car. I actually caught it on video and if I really wanted to disturb myself and you, dear listener, I could put the audio from that video into this episode. But again, I'm not going to because this episode is hard enough for me to do. So, but I'm also getting ahead of myself here. I honestly can't remember if she ever put hands on me in a more benign way, such as restricting my movement or just violating my boundaries and putting hands on me, pushing or shoving. I probably blacked it out and the fact that I didn't consider that abuse at the time probably has a part in it or it could just be that I'm still traumatized by it and haven't unlocked the feelings that came along with that but I can say with certainty that within the first two and a half years of our marriage was the first time that she majorly abused me we were driving on 435 in Kansas City doing 70 And I said something really hateful. And she punched me three times right in the face, splattered my blood all over the windshield. And when we got back to the house, she fully expected me to call the police and report it. And like many domestic abuse victims, particularly men who feel emasculated by admitting that a woman hurt them, I didn't call the police. I also didn't call the police because my eldest kid was just a baby, and if my ex-wife had gone to jail, I wasn't sure who would be able to take care of them while I was working. So I didn't call the cops. I kept it to myself and didn't really even tell my friends. When they asked about the black eye that I had, I just kind of shrugged it off. The old quote, I walked into a door which is, as we know, a euphemism for my partner just smacked the shit out of me. So that happened, and then shortly after that, I mean shortly in a 10-year marriage, so it was like, you know, within a year, she, we were moving into a new place, and I was very frustrated because moving is very tra- traumatizing for me. And uh, we weren't even fighting. She was just sick of me being mad and expressing that through moving very aggressively. 
part of that was I was mad, and part of it, again, I've moved over 50 times in my life. I do it very efficiently, and tapping into my emotions is a good way to get that done, not justifying any behaviors that I may have contributed. But yeah, she didn't like how I was doing things, and I was moving a bed, and she essentially tackled me onto the bed and down a flight of stairs, and didn't really hurt me that time thanks to the bed, but it was very scary for me. I mean, if you've ever fallen down a flight of stairs, it's pretty terrifying, even if you know you're going to land on something soft. So that happened. And there were many other instances where I would be trying to leave and she would stop me, where she would emotionally abuse me, belittle me, emasculate me, insult me, wouldn't support me, basically kept me at home. I was, any time that I chose to go do an activism thing, I would be met with the silent treatment and being emotionally abused and name-calling throughout. took a week or two for things to, to settle down, so to speak. And because of that, I lost a lot of friends, and I was able to continue doing some of my activism, but every time I went to a monthly meeting, I knew that I was going to have hell when I went home, and so I didn't do as much as I could, because it wasn't worth the after effects. Yeah. I also want to mention here, the reason I'm doing, the reasons I'm doing this episode, first off, I've, this is a subject that I advocate very strongly on, particularly for male victims, because again, that is my perspective, and in a lot of ways, we do fail our men victims of domestic abuse in terms of resources available for them. And I also like need to process this stuff. I haven't, if I remember correctly, I've gone deep into this in therapy once, <clears throat> but I haven't, again, had a chance to really sit down and try to work through this trauma because I still have to regularly talk to her. So I think this is kind of me opening up a part of myself to you, the listener, and trying to connect with you and know that you're not alone if you've ever dealt with this type of thing. So... Let's go ahead and do some commercials. I kind of hesitate to throw commercials in this episode, but also, like, I don't know. I feel like I need to keep my format. But this is one of those times where if you just want to skip them and keep our somber vibe, then I totally support that. So when we get back, we're going to talk about the cycle of domestic violence and some other stuff. I don't know. I don't have my notes up. So here's some ads. Hey y'all, capitalism sucks, but Benavie Farms and Nursery is part of my community. Benavie Farms and Nursery is Kansas City's local sustainable nursery whose main focus is saving our little buzzing comrades, the bees. Bees are a primary pollinator for the world's food supply and their species are declining at a rapid pace due to destruction of their native habitats. Benavie Farms and Nursery realize the importance of not only growing your own food, but also saving the bees. 
At Benevie Farms, they specialize in perennials, pollinators, and produce, so you can support a community initiative, plant a garden, and save the bees all at the same time. We talk a lot about food security on my show, and the first step is growing your own food for yourself and your community, and you can do that while saving our pollinators. The staff at Benevie Farms are knowledgeable, friendly, helpful, and inclusive, and can't wait to help you start or expand your garden this spring. To learn more about a sustainable no-till urban farm, go to benevyfarms.com or find Benevy Farms on Facebook. And we're back. Okay, I just ran that one commercial because all the others that I currently have made have a more comic and light tone, and I just don't feel like that's a, a good way to segue into the topic that we have on hand, so... Thanks for bearing with me. Um, the homies at Benevy hooked me up with produce and eggs and stuff, so I that's why they their ad got ran. I'm pretty sure they have a very strong stance against domestic violence as well, but next time I'm up there, I will clarify for sure. So next I'm going to read from a write-up from the Mayo Clinic um, in the Healthy Lifestyle Adult Health section about domestic violence. Quote, it might not be easy to recognize domestic violence against men. Early in the relationship, your partner might seem, uh, seem attentive, generous, and protective in ways that later turn out to be controlling and frightening. Initially, the abuse might appear as isolated incidents. Your partner might apologize and promise not to abuse you again. End quote. So we're going to jump back into that Mayo Clinic write up and that was a perfect segue into the cycle of abuse. I think most abuse victims who at least understand that they are victims of abuse totally know the cycle very intimately. I know as soon as I started to become aware that I was in an abusive relationship, I educated myself and totally was able to identify the cycle in my own relationship. Back to that informative Mayo Clinic article. Quote, If you're in an abusive situation, you might recognize this pattern. Your abuser threatens violence. Your abuser strikes you. Your abuser apologizes, promises to change, and offers gift. And then the cycle repeats itself. Typically, the violence becomes more frequent and severe over time. End quote. As you can see with my brief timeline that I shared with you, the violence did escalate over time to the point where I felt very unsafe in my relationship, but being a victim of abuse, I had a hard time extricating, extricating, extra, I don't know, getting myself out of that relationship. So it's still from that Mayo Clinic write-up. Quote, If you seek help, you might also find that there are fewer resources for male victims of domestic violence. Healthcare providers and other contacts might not think to ask if your injuries were caused by domestic violence, making it harder to open up about these issues. You might fear that if you talk to someone about the abuse, you'll be accused of wrongdoing yourself. Remember, though, if you're being abused, you aren't to blame, and help is available. End quote. Yeah. So, that was another reason that I didn't... I, I stayed in that relationship. There was also the terror of trying to get the money together to escape, 
given the fact that I was also a victim of financial abuse despite being the sole breadwinner for my family. I would get my paycheck, it would get deposited into the bank, and then if I were to spend any of it on stuff for myself, like basic everyday expenses, like an energy drink, because I wasn't getting enough sleep, because I was taking care of her child as well, I would have to suffer consequences. But she was allowed to spend it frivolously without my knowledge or consent. So I was always terrified of how am I going to support myself? How am I going to support two households when she comes for child support if I leave? And I can't just disappear like it's necessary for some victims of domestic violence because I needed to be there for my kids and the violence toward me was at the time I did not realize how threatening and dangerous it was. So I stayed. And so let's get some references about why people stay in domestic abuse situations. You can, if you want to do some personal research yourself and get individual stories, on pretty much any social media platform, you can search the hashtag why I stayed or maybe he or she doesn't hit you and it will cycle and tell you why people stayed and some of the other forms of abuse that people can suffer without it being physical. So we're going to go to Psychology Today, uh, article by Craig Malkin, PhD, titled, Why Do People Stay in Abusive Relationships? Quote, Disassociating victims can't leave the abuse because they aren't psychologically present enough to recall the pain of what happened. There are other well-documented hurdles to victims leaving their abusive partner. For one, the abuse abused are often cut off from friends and financial supports. For another, they're often afraid to leave, and with good reason. More than 70% of domestic violence injuries and murders happen after the victim has left. One can't escape a dangerous situation if it feels safer to stay. But, per but perhaps one of the most formidable and dangerous obstacles abuse victims face is their own searing guilt and shame. They're incredibly adept at blaming themselves for the abuse. End quote. So we see that there are both logistical and emotional hurdles to being able to get yourself out of that type of situation. And they all mix up in a big soup of problem trying to leave. So it's also hard to establish a exit plan when you are in an abusive situation. You can't necessarily contact domestic violence services if your partner is monitoring your phone or email. If you are a victim of financial abuse, it's hard to acquire the means secretly to escape and because you've been isolated from your support networks you have to do the extra step of reaching out and trying to reestablish those bonds to get assistance from them which I'm sure your support networks would be happy to provide but then you have to try to keep that hidden from your abuser so they don't abuse you because you're talking to people they don't want you to talk to. Another societal problem that plays into why people stay is victim blaming. You can have victim blaming in all sorts of different areas of society problems, but particularly when it comes to domestic abuse, it's, it's really damaging. 
and part of that, well, let's just get into this. Quote, Victim blaming is dangerous enough that in summarizing the conclusion of hundreds of studies on domestic violence, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services cites as a barrier to ending domestic violence the brute fact that peers, family members, and others in the community, for example, coworkers, social service providers, police, or clergy, minimize or ignore the abuse and fail to provide consequences. Instead of condemning the abuse, people around the victims often simply admonish them with, what did you expect if you choose to stay? End quote. Now, I think it's important to, for me to publicly acknowledge that in my marriage I was abusive as well. I never laid hands violently on my partner because I knew that as soon as I did, in the eyes of the law, I would become the aggressor because I was stronger than my ex-wife, and I did my fair share of psychological and emotional abuse, mainly through being intimidating and calling names and stuff like that. As I've gotten older, I have worked on these behaviors and don't participate in them anymore as much as I can. I still can be pretty intimidating when I am upset, but I am more cognizant of the fact and am more able to calm myself down and remove myself to such a point where those around me don't feel threatened. But I take full responsibility for the abuse that I visited upon partners in the past. Again, that was what I I grew up with, and without the services available for me to unpack that and deal with that, plus being unmedicated for my own neurodivergence, it made for a perfect storm of me also being abusive. And abuse isn't one of those things that we can say, oh, this is worse, or that is worse. Like, um, as far as I'm concerned, calling my ex-wife names is abuse, and it's the same level as other types of abuse. I don't know, come to think of it, because it's all damaging, but, like, I think sexual abuse is probably the, the, the worst, so maybe we can quantify these things, because personally, I'd much rather be cussed at than made to have sex when I didn't want to, which has also happened to me. And it wasn't, you know, with the gender difference between men and women, often when men pressure women into having sex, there's a bit more of an element of sexual assault, of molestation, of rape in between. Um, obviously anything without consent is going to fall in that category. Whereas in my personal experience was that if I did refuse to or didn't want to have intimate relations, I would be met with the same type of behavior similar to if I wanted to go hang out with my friends. She would be very silent and would insult me and belittle me. I mean, I remember once that she was like, are you even a man? And part of that was to hurt me. Part of that is the inherent patriarchy and bullshit 
toxic masculinity that we deal with because I was a man in my mid-20s. I'm supposed to want sex all the time. Um, and that wasn't factoring in my own problems and traumas. And as a sexual abuse victim from childhood, I definitely have some hang-ups around sex, particularly when I don't feel safe. One of the ways that I think was most damaging for me that I have been domestically abused in the past was when there were conflicts in the relationship and certain partners would get overwhelmed and threaten to kill themselves. And it was really hard for me, particularly since I have my own codependent provider tendencies, to not internalize that and feel responsible for that. And it's really tricky to navigate because obviously we should be supporting our partners when they are feeling that way. But to do so as leverage and control in the middle of a fight is, is abusive. You are essentially holding someone hostage. And I felt like through most of my adult life that I was with a partner, I felt like they were holding me hostage in that way. And luckily I'm out of that now and I'm dating people who don't do that particular behavior but it's always disturbed me particularly because I'm not sure like when I'm in a disagreement with a partner it's really hard for me to help empathize with their feelings if they're feeling overwhelmed and like they would rather do other stuff than live and continue the fight that we were having. So that one's really kind of messed me up. Um, I mean, it all has in various ways, shapes, or forms, and kind of sucks. So, but I do want any, any survivors that need resource and need inspiration, I want you to know that it, you can escape. You can do it. As terrifying as it is, we first need to realize that a better life for ourselves is possible and we can get out of these situations. It takes hard work, it takes being very brave and very strong, but you can get out of these situations. And here's a few good groups that will help that are local to Kansas City and they help in all sorts of ways. And I believe that they help all genders of domestic violence survivors. So here where I'm recording, we have the Willow Domestic Violence Center, which I have actually done some artwork for their, I forget what the exact event was, but a few years ago I wrote a essay detailing my own experiences with domestic violence. I guess you could kind of consider this podcast episode as a follow-up of that particular essay, and I would read it, but it's really raw, and it's not going to bring anything that I haven't already talked about. So if you're a victim of sexual violence, whether in the past or because of a domestic violence situation, and here in Lawrence, we have the Sexual Trauma and Abuse Care Center, which does great work in our local community, helping victims of sexual violence work through their traumas and 
become the best people that they can be. And I cannot recommend the Sexual Trauma and Abuse Care Center enough. It is thanks to them that I am in therapy after wanting to get it for 26 years. And I am eternally grateful for the wonderful therapists that are not only on my team, but are helping out everybody. So if you're a victim or survivor in Lawrence, that's a, that's a pretty good resource for you. And then if you're in the KC area and you're a victim of sexual violence, there's MOXA, which is in KC, and you can find them at moxa.org. That's the Metropolitan Organization to Counter Sexual Assault. They do a lot of good work up in KC. I've had some friends who speak very highly of them, so you can check them out. There's also a ton of other resources available online, both through national um, organizations like the Justice Department or Department of uh, Health and Human Services. If you need more logistical support, then there are domestic violence care centers in your area, and I encourage you, if you are in this situation, to go and find them and get yourself out of this situation. Like many subjects that we cover on this show, there is a lot that we are not getting into. Um, I may come back and get into it more at some point in the future, but at the moment I think this is probably as, as much trauma as I can deal with like putting out in the open right now. Plus, it's like 80 degrees outside and sunny, and I have a couple good books and a lawn chair calling my name. So I'm going to go ahead and do what I need to do to, to feel safe and get my spoons back. And I encourage all my listeners, survivors of DV or not, to find something that they enjoy doing and will help you relax, because this was a pretty tense episode and I totally understand that we all feel probably pretty drained here. And, you know, for, for the record, that's why I joke during all sorts of other topics that are pretty dark and scary, because it helps kind of elevate the mood a little and helps us kind of to re-laugh and remember that, I don't know, there's funny things to most things, but this was not an episode that... I have a hard time laughing about it at all. It, just talking about it kind of takes me to some dark places and makes me very scared and sad. And that's an understandable response because again, I it was a decade of this. It is ingratiated into me. And that's not even counting the you know, physical abuse that I suffered as a child and basically the shit really fucked me up. And I don't, you know, I want a better world where we don't have to deal with these things and we have resources to help people. So, y'all know where to find me. I recently switched podcasting providers. I am now on Podbean. Not that this should affect, theoretically affect anything that you as the listener is doing it just means there should be a unseen rss redirect but 
we'll see. This will be the first new episode that I will be dropping through Podbean, and I will be checking the other services to make sure it got where it needed to go. So yeah, help out each other, help people get out of these situations. If you've listened to this and you've realized, holy shit, I might be an abuser, it's not okay to be an abuser, but having that epiphany allows you the opportunity to stop and just start looking into resources that you might need, like therapy, to work through your own traumas and not revert to even simple things like yelling and name-calling and such. So, you know, let's all do our, our inner work. Let's all do our part to help survivors of domestic abuse, whether that's at a more logistical level or donating to your local DV care center. Personally, I, and this is just for me, I don't encourage anybody else to take the stance. This just helps me sleep at night. I personally don't donate to care centers that don't cater to men as well. So that's one reason that I really like the Willow. They have services for everybody. So, but, but you do you. We need care centers. We need them, a lot of them, and they need to be well-funded. So please don't use my standards here as yours because it won't, won't help end the problem. So, and that's what we want to do. We want to help do our best to eliminate and reduce domestic violence in America. And a big part of why we want to do that is because our only hope is each other. I'm out. Thanks for sticking with me, guys. I feel a little, a little lighter and like this shit needed to be said. So, I'm out. This has been a production of 419 Media.